Merry Christmas, strangers. Merry Christmas, strangers. Merry Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, as always, I'm Krista. With me is Kurt, and we have a special guest again, Corey. Special guest. Extra special guest. K to the third power. We drove down here. Drove down here Christmas Eve, the morning of Christmas Eve, just for you guys. They came down the chimney. We came down the chimney. Uh, Jim was very unhappy that we came down the (laughs) chimney. It needed a good cleaning anyway. (laughs) I'm all sooty. (laughs) You're all sooty. Got some food going for the 20 sound engineers. Yeah, we uh, we have our behind the scenes here. We have our sound engineers in the other room. We brought them like meatballs and a crock pot stuff. They're having a little Christmas party in there. Cocktail weenies and barbecue (laughs) Cocktails, some weenies and balls. So yeah, it's 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 Still a party. Wonder our <laughs> podcast is in better quality than <laughs> exactly. all these people. That's because they're always eating out of eating our crockpot stuff. We bring them. They're not even yeah. But your pre-production meetings, you guys talk about how you want to pull wool over everybody's eyes and make it sound like it's this rinky-dink ho dunk. Yeah, and it's actually it's actually succeeding. super super technical. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> none of that is true. Mm-hmm. But it is Christmas Eve when you're listening to this, so Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas. I generally Happy like to re- Christmas. I, I like to release this on Christmas Eve because it's a nice little present. Well, plus people might be traveling for actual oh, that's Christmas, a good call. so then a lot of people have said they like listening to us. Or somebody might be alone. Or somebody and might this be alone. Will keep them company. Yep. But it is Christmas Eve. It is literally December twenty fourth right now. As we're recording this, this is live, and that is <laughs> our present. Are, our present to you is this podcast. It is. Yes. This is our gift yeah, from us to you. <laughs> yeah, you cannot return it. <laughs> yeah, you cannot. Don't return back. it for a bigger size. Don't return it for a better episode or a better podcast. But we are here. We like you guys to have a little something on Christmas. So we figured, what the heck? What the hey? So we got together, brought Corey down here again because he is always requested. Against my will. Against his will. Threw him in the back of the car, put a bag over his head. It's like Christmas vacation style. You put a bag <laughs> yeah. over his head? Put a bag. I didn't have like to. A, but, and plus wow. he drove, so that probably wasn't a real he good idea. like a breathing hole, right? Oh. <laughs> hey, yeah, he did drive here. Wow. That must have been a harrowing trip. <laughs> it was. I still, probably, still safer than Kurt driving. <laughs> still safer. For the me driving. Do we have any housekeeping? Because we really don't, because this is no, the Christmas episode. That'd be weird if we did. It would be weird if we did. Um, we just recorded the last episode a couple minutes ago. <laughs> we did. We did. Looking back at our 130 episodes. 130. 130. I know. Not including and, side sessions. And I think like two of them are good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Some but, very memorable and some that even we were like, I don't we did remember that, that one at all. <laughs> did we do wow, that? Did I don't that remember doing else's? that. Was I here for that one? <laughs> What's, what I love is that someone was like, hey, did you watch this Unsolved Mysteries episode about Brandon Swanson? Because I think you guys covered this. I was like, we did, and it was this season. See, <laughs> like I said, I, gener- I generally remember which ones we did because I edit them and I I, right. do, I write down the names. So I usually I will remember the ones I researched for mini mysteries. I don't always remember your mini mysteries because yeah. I didn't do the research. Yeah, and it's hard. Like if you don't do the research and you don't always remember. Right. We do have a couple taste tests though. We do. Our top one is candy. Our top one is candy from Stephanie. I think this is our wow. last thing cool. from Stephanie. So Stephanie, 
Well, there's several things in here. Okay. So we're going to have to pick one thing. Stephanie, we love you. Thank you so much for sending us this stuff. I want to pick something that we can split up because there's lots of like single things. I hope your Christmas Eve is going okay in Arizona because it just doesn't, Arizona doesn't seem Christmassy to me. No, you need snow. Although yeah. it's not like we're going to have snow here either. We might. Are we, we just picking something out there at random? Here. Yeah, because I think let's, should we each, there's a lot of stuff in there. Do we split something? Let's each pick one out. Okay. Oh, I got something. It's like a, it's like a present. It's like a Christmas present. Ooh. It's like a stocking. Stocking stuffers. I'm looking for something that feels soft and nothing that feels like mm, super okay. hard. It's my finger. <laughs> Whoa. This feels intriguing. This feels chocolatey. I want the chocolatey stuff. Oh. What'd you like get? Kit Kat. This, yeah, it's one of my favorite flavors too. I've had this and one. I got cactus candy. We'll we'll share. We'll share amongst What's, uh, ourselves. Can you take a picture of yours? And text it to me. I've had this one and I love it. It's a Kit Kat. Yep. Mm, who doesn't love a Kit Kat? It's my. Phone I love Kit Kat. Picture. My camera is all jazzed. Ooh. Okay. What does it say? Prickly pear fruit saltwater taffy. I only have Didn't one. There's have four. A... Okay. Ooh, saltwater taffy. Yeah. Ooh. I'll just have one because there's four. And mine can be split into four. I'm gonna have like a serious sugar rush by the time we're done today. <laughs> yeah, you will. Oh, this is chocolate. I'm excited now. Okay, so what are we doing first? We'll do mine. Okay. I've Good, had this, and I think Corey's you're... probably had this. But Did I love it. Did you take a picture? Yes. Okay. But I love it. It is Kit Kat fruity cereal. Ooh, I've it's never Kit, had this It's one. the Kit Kats that taste like Fruit Loops or... Fruity Pebbles? Fruity Pebbles. It's good. Mm. I've had it because I am a hardcore Fruity Pebbles fan. Like, I can't have Fruity Pebbles at home because I will literally eat a whole box in one sitting. <laughs> it's that bad. Basically, just pour milk into the bag and yep. go to town. Corey, hand one to Krista. Oh, I did show you that picture from that market with all the Kit Kats that they have. Yes, yeah. But I love, this is my favorite Kit Kat. From here, Japan. If it's we're talking Japan, that I love That one the, matcha one or green tea? The green that tea was Kit good. Kat I love. So this is oh, the wow. Kit Does Kat. Oh, wow. that smell yep. like Fruity Pebbles? It is the Fruity fruity Cereal because they couldn't technically oh, sure, call it Fruity not. Pebbles. Oh, Corey's, Corey's <laughs> sniffing his freebasing wow. Kit Kat. seen colors. Are you ready? <laughs> ayahuasca. Ready. Ayahuasca. Mmm. Mm-hmm. I love just Kit Kat. Mm-hmm. Tastes like Fruit Loops. Is that what it is? Fruit Loops or Fruity Pebbles? Some fruit-based cereal. I get Fruity Pebbles. I, I don't, I'm not familiar enough with either of them to choose, mm. but it's good. Mm, mm. 10 yeah. out of 10. 100% yeah. a 10 out yeah, of 10. That's a 10. It's my favorite. Same. It's good. Mm. I can't tell if it's Fruity Pebbles or Fruit Loops. Fruity Pebbles. I have no idea. It's not Fruit Loops. Mm. It has a tang to it that's fruity. That screams Fruity Pebbles. Okay. What are we doing next? Corey's? Oh, that's you got to take one, Kurt. Oh. Didn't we have prickly pear? Candies. Yep. yep. The, but we were still they... have them. Turkish delights right there. We still have those, remember? Oh. We got to eat some of those. We're going to be. It was like the jerky. It was like fruit jerky or something. Wasn't that like it? A... Never mind. I don't know what I'm talking about. Let me take a picture of that. Dreaming, dreaming that. Was that were you somebody else's podcast you're doing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cheating on you with somebody else's podcast. I knew it. Every that's why it's every other Saturday. Those other Saturdays, she's here doing somebody else's podcast. Mm-hmm. You know it. Interrupting them. <laughs> yeah, all day. This one doesn't really have a smell. I'm smelling my finger. <laughs> okay, <laughs> ready? Go hard. She washed her hands after you went to the bathroom. Mmm, mmm, that's different. Mm-hmm. 
It was really hard to eat because it is taffy. Oh, I like mm. this. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's mm-hmm. got a different flavor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, it's just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does taste like prickly pear. It does. Mm-hmm. I'm giving this a 10 out of 10, too, because I really like this. And it does have like a little salty, tangy. Yep. Mm. Yeah, I give it a 10 out of 10, this is probably one of our most annoying taste tests just because of the sound of us eating yeah, it. Merry Christmas. Get to listen to us chew taffy. <laughs> oh, I love this. Mm. I really do. Mm-hmm. 10 out of 10. Krista, I see you trying to talk. Krista, 9 out of 10? If it doesn't have chocolate, I'm not going to give it a wow. 10. Wow. Sorry. Welcome to Strange sorry, Sessions with Corey and Kurt. <laughs> yeah, welcome to... <laughs> okay. What did you give it, Corey? Ten. Okay. I'm just gonna go We're through gonna our pa- I'm gonna go through our last episodes and edit her out of all of them. <laughs> it's just Kurt talking <laughs> it's me himself. Talking. <laughs> then I'll ask a question. It'll just like go on. To something At least else. nobody will be there to interrupt you. <laughs> exactly. Oh, okay, I'm splitting this. You just take a chunk and pass. Dang, it. I love this taffy. Hmm. Well, this smells like good old fashioned milk chocolate. I don't know why it's called cactus candy. Maybe I should read chocolate bar. It just says chocolate bar. Prickly pear cactus. So is this gonna have prickly pear? Is it gonna have like needles? Okay, let's try it. I'm still working. Okay. Oh, sorry. Hmm. I guess I get a little hint of something other than chocolate. I don't. I get chocolate. It's good. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Well, I haven't had this much sugar in one sitting. <laughs> in a while. This is good for people who are diabetic, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Core diabetic. I'm going to be going into a coma here pretty soon. Please don't. I'll have to drive. Um, I would give it a 10 out of 10, but I'll give it a 9 because it's chocolate. Corey's not a fan of chocolate. Oh, Chris is giving him a death player. The the stink eye. She saw what I was doing. Sad eye. Hmm. I'm going to give it a 9 too, actually, because to me, it does really just taste like chocolate. If this is supposed to be prickly pear cactus chocolate. You expect more. Prickly pear. Prick and more pear. (laughs) Definitely expects more the first one. I am giving this a... Nine, two. Nine? It's really good. It's good chocolate, but I I expected a it little something, chocolate. a little bonus in there, and I don't get no I got bonus. The pear in the very beginning, but then it just became chocolate. Like after the first, two I seconds. have taffy, Kit Kat, and chocolate stuck in my teeth now. So, brace yourselves for the next one. Oh my god, I forgot about that one now. Mm-hmm. This is from Kayla. This my, this was my wish. You might regret this. I'm gonna, I might regret my wish to get something. Durian flavored. It's durian candy. And durian, <laughs> if you know anything about it, it's the thing you cut into and it's supposed to smell like... There are a lot of reactions to people eating durian like candy. Farts. Yeah. I like, if you open that and smell that, it might be really stinky. Oh God, I'm scared. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Is it that bad? <laughs> I have not you been have scared of a taste it. test before. <laughs> you have to smell it. Smell the bag. Oh come on, Corey always his he always has an underwhelming. Oh, See, thank oh, you. It wasn't that bad. His yes, reaction to like stuff is underwhelming. Like Dunder Salt, he was oh, like, "Hey, no big deal." It smells like we'll take one. It smells horrible. It smells. It smells like natural gas. There's nothing natural about that. I don't get it. It doesn't smell bad at all to me. Wow, really? Oh, <laughs> I think it's horrible. 
Are they hard candies? Uh huh. Oh man, that means it's gonna stay I'm with gonna you. I'm gonna open for a my while. container, my coffee container, because that might get spit out. Oh, I'm scared. I'm, I'm scared, scared and excited. Oh, it might be like a. I wonder if it oh, like, weird. Like a okay. melty candy? It looks like caramel. Yeah. Maybe it'll taste like caramel. Oh, it doesn't smell like caramel. It's got that weird farty smell. Okay, ready? Ready. Mm-mm. Oh. Oh, the more you smell. Oh. That's horrible. It tastes exactly how it smells. It gets better. It does. Once how you does get, it get better? It does. Once it you does. get through. Should I try? Yeah. yeah. Once you get through that initial Oops. funk. Sorry, I just hit my... Once you get through that initial funk, it's actually pretty good. It's like a buttery. It's like thing. a butter. Oh, but then it comes back. The funk comes. Oh. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. <laughs> I can no. do that. I can do this one. I can't. But it's There's this smell that's coming up through the but back. But it's weird oh. because it'll be good for a second, and then also it'll... I get that I taste caramel a little bit or butterscotch, right? Yeah, and but then it's the weird because I get the I get like the butterscotch caramel flavor, and then for like the next two seconds, I get like the fart flavor, and then all like of a sudden the good flavor. To wash that down. If you had a lot of like Gross. like caramel, either you melted it or whatever and ate it. Then you threw it up and ate it again. <laughs> You're not wrong because Nailed there it. is like a weird vomity bile yeah. kind of flavor it's like, to it. Yes, that's yeah. what it is. Uh, yeah, when you kind of throw up it's in your like mouth bile. a little bit, yeah, like when you when you when you verp. Yeah. Can you imagine what the actual fruit tastes like? It's probably way more intense. It's it's not it's bad. Yeah. No, it is. But bad. it's weird because it, I mean Ugh. it's good, but there's that yeah. undertone that's. Yeah. If you if you had caramel and then burped it up. And with a little bit of vomit Bile. in your mouth, that's exactly what it tastes like. And you're saying, hey, this is good. I'm give it a 10 it, out of 10. I'm giving it a 1. I'm Just a, the caramel flavor is the only thing that's making me give it a 1. I'm giving it a 7 because I, I like... You're taking that home with you. I like No, keep it here for next season for Aaron to try. How about I just leave one piece I'll out? I'll take a couple. Oh. Yeah, I give it like a 7 or 8. I do. I mean, wow. the taste, the actual the taste, taste is, is good, but it's got that weird... Other flavor that's like a like bile. I figured I'd break up my teeth. So as far as vomit like... flavored candy, it's really good. <laughs> it's better than I expected because that smell me. was funky. It is, yeah, and that's oh, what's killing I, me. Because I can... to like, is there like a liquid center? Because it's starting to open up a little bit. No, I just bit into it to split, split it in half. Okay. Blech. I, it's weird because Thanks, it's Kayla. it's weird because it's at the same time good and bad. Because it's got that weird flavor, but it's also good with like tastes like caramel or it's not good enough for me to stick it out. I like homemade caramel where it's a lot of buttery taste to it with a little caramel. And it's like your dog like threw up on it while you were making it. <laughs> yeah. And you made it anyway. <laughs> okay. I can't get over how it's both good and bad at the same time because it is. Like there's that funk, that background yeah. flavor of like musty funk, like a like a hobo musty. shoe. That's a good description. It has a musty flavor. Musty bile. <laughs> musty bile. I'm, I'm. It tastes like it smells. <laughs> Crystal is not a fan. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Smelling the bag was a little Awful. off-putting. Yeah, no. No, I'm cool with it. All right. Kurt's cool with it. Who's going to go is cool first? Because... 
Ooh, there was a little funky taste. I feel right like there. mine's always the weakest, so why don't I go first oh my God, and get yours it out is of not the, the way? Weakest. Plus, we're still working on our yeah, we're post vomit caramel. I'm the weakest link. Okay, you ready? Have a piece of candy, Chris. No. <laughs> uh, so my mini mystery for this Christmas episode. Merry Christmas. Is about the Warminster thing. I had never heard of this. Had either of you heard of this? Mm-hmm. Nope. Okay. This is from Medium.com. I literally am just reading an article <laughs> from Medium.com. Um, it's the story of multiple, quote, sonic attacks and UFO sightings in a small rural town. So Warminster is an English town of about 17,000 people on the edge of the Salisbury Plain military training area, about 15 miles or 25 kilometers from the famous Stonehenge uh, prehistoric stone circle in Wiltshire, southwest England. Beginning at the end of 1964, residents of the town, back then its population was about 10,000, started to witness something strange happening in Warminster. And this is why I chose this story. At 1.25 a.m. on Christmas morning Woo-hoo. in 1964, bonus so there was for, a method bonus to my po- madness. Bonus points for including Christmas, because <laughs> mine doesn't really have anything Christmassy. Mrs. Mildred Head was awoken by a strange noise. At first, it sounded as if twigs were scratching on her roof and then as if giant hailstones were raining down. She got up and went to the window. The night was dry and clear. She could see nothing unusual. She did, however, notice a strange humming sound, which grew louder and then faded away, except for a faint whisper, a low whistling or a wheezing. Later that morning, just after 6 a.m., Mrs. Marjorie Bai was walking along dark, quiet streets to the Holy Communion service at Christ Church, Warminster. The first odd thing she noticed was a crackling sound from the direction of the nearby Bell Hill area of the town. As she approached the church, she experienced a sonic attack. Quote, sudden vibrations came overhead, chilling in intensity. Shockwaves pounded at her head, neck, and shoulders. Mrs. Bai was pinned down by invisible fingers of sound. Dang. Feeling weak and frightened, she found it difficult to reach the sanctuary This of the almost church. sounds like the... Those attacks? Yeah, like the Cuba. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like the... What is that called? I know what you're talking about. I'm drawing a blank right now. Havana. Havana illness. Havana syndrome. syndrome. Havana syndrome, yes. Her experience was reported. Oh, I'm still getting like the aftertaste of that candy. (laughs) I think it's on my hands. Her experience was reported by journalist Arthur Shuttlewad. (laughs) So English. (laughs) In local paper, the Warminster Journal. The brief article published in the new year encouraged more than 30 local people from around from in and around Warminster to write to the paper. Many claim to have also heard similar strange sounds. Warminster's postmaster, Roger <laughs> Roger Rump, told wow. Shuttlewad. Oh, see, before wow. it was Shuttlewad, it's actually Shuttlewood, maybe. Oh, boy, it's going to be one of those. <clears throat> I, I did a story once with the names kept changing, depending on who, where oh, I yeah, got them. Oh, yeah, I get the, that, too. He told Shuttlewood that on Christmas morning from inside his home close to Christ Church, he had heard a terrific clatter as if his, (laughs) remember this was in the 60s, as if his roof tiles were being rattled about and plucked off and then loudly slammed back into place. He could also hear an odd humming tone. It was most unusual. It lasted no more than a minute. Yes, your microphone is still on. (laughs) Shoot. I thought you were reading, so I was safe. What were you going to say? I thought you were reading, so I was safe. Oh, Oh, I was, what was I going to say? You were saying, I wonder. I wow, 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 wonder. Who wrote the book of love? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Around 30 British Army troops stationed at Nook Camp, five miles or eight kilometers east of Warminster, also heard something strange that same morning. 
Their sergeant told Shuttlewood, quote, the sound was similar to that of a huge chimney stack being ripped from a roof. <laughs> Who knows what that sounds like? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> and being scattered in pieces across the whole of the camp. The sound effect was accompanied by a high-pitched whining or a droning note. Though the sound was variously and vividly described, no one was able to say what might have caused it, only that what it sounded like to them. From May of 1965, people in the Warminster area also began reporting unidentified flying objects, or UFOs, including a silent cigar-shaped object covered in winking lights, which was seen both May and June 1965. I wonder what would cause that. The sounds? Yeah, the sonic stuff. I suppose it could be UFOs. I mean, it could be, but if it's not, what what rational explanation is there for that? Unless it's mass hysteria. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Just uh, like, the, like the Havana syndrome that people are saying doesn't exist, but then people who are affected by it are I've like, no, this exists. I've seen that in the news yeah. yeah. I think they figured out what it was or what they think it was. Yeah. What was it? I don't remember Do what you they recall? said. Was it a microwave weapon? No, it wasn't. I thought it was, it was something, something to benign. that effect, though. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought the least article I think I remember hmm. reading was something about it being benign. That it, it wasn't hysteria, but it wasn't anything. Like a, like a directed weapon. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. a weapon of some hmm. kind. During one June sighting, a UFO hovered over Warminster for around half an hour. One witness described the UFOs as hanging silent and still high in the sky, fading away as she watched. Strange shimmering lights in the sky were also observed and were described as being like huge eyes in the sky or car headlights glaring down. Together, these phenomena, the sonic attacks, unexplained lights in the sky, and UFO sightings are remembered as the Warminster thing. Huh. Local journalist Arthur Shuttlewood, a latter-day Fox Mulder, amassed a sizable file on these unexplained phenomena. At first, the journalist veteran was skeptical secretly laughing at locals' tales of the thing, but then on the afternoon of September 28, 1965, he had a close encounter of his own. From the window of his home, Shuttlewood saw a huge cigar-shaped craft gliding along a gentle giant in the sky, that, and he felt that, quote, this thing had power that it was pushing out. I think the ray was pushed out because this is a disbelieving sort of chap, and we've got to convince him personally, and they did. Ah, so he was thinking... Whatever was up there knew that he didn't believe and needed to prove that it existed to him. That's interesting. It is interesting, but it also makes it seem like they have some sort of way of knowing. Allegedly, the thing burnt up the film in the movie camera he had grabbed to try to capture it, stopped his wristwatch, and caused pins and needles in his hand and arm. In his 1967 book, The Warminster Mystery, Shuttlewood recalls that after this experience, quote, I dared join the small band of local folk who are convinced that our visitors are as real as us and believe that they are, coming from distant worlds, which may not be so very different from our own planet. Shuttlewood was now an outspoken true believer and happy to go on record as such. On August 29, 1965, a local factory worker, Gordon Faulkner, 23, claimed to have photographed a UFO above Warminster. By his account, quote, as it flew past and low over the south of the town, I could just make out the unusual shape. It made no noise. Hurriedly, I got my camera free and pointed it at the craft, but the line of flight was too fast to follow. So I held the camera well in front of it and pressed the trigger as it entered the viewfinder. I did not dream I would get anything on film at all, and I was amazed when I saw what came out. And so there is a photo. It's like your classic, I don't know if you guys want to... 
It's like your classic saucer. Flying saucer. Flying saucer. Shuttlewood, although at this point still supposedly a skeptic, passed Faulkner's photo of the Warminster UFO to British National Tabloid newspaper, The Daily Mirror. It was printed in the paper on September 10th, 1965, along with an article written by Shuttlewood where he describes, quote, the incredible, sensational, stupendous thing. It really is out of this world. He also hypes Faulkner's photo as remarkable, almost awe-inspiring. Clearly, Shuttlewood knew how to, t- how to sell a story. Mm-hmm. So it's got to play into yeah. this at least a yep. little bit. Especially back then. That was like probably mm-hmm. kind of rare for stuff like that to make regular newspapers, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Like a- Thousands of people had to begun to converge on Warminster in hopes of witnessing the thing, coming from as far away as the USA. On some days, the number of people in the formerly quiet and peaceful town almost doubled from around 10,000 to about 18,000. Even before the national publicity caused the soon-to-be iconic UFO photo, locals were concerned enough by the thing that a public meeting was held in the town on Friday, August 27, 1965, to allay fears that the happenings were a danger to the earth. This packed town hall meeting of over 500 people with the national press in attendance turned into a lively hour-long session of residents expressing their concerns and describing the strange phenomena they had personally witnessed. This is where I need to look and make sure I'm recording. Yeah. <laughs> I'm used to having audacity in front yeah, of me and not having and not it reading, is a little nerve-wracking. The meeting almost descended into a farce when town council chair Mr. Reese was handed a telegram. He opened it and read, Investigations completed. Invasion fears are unfounded, which is a Doctor Who quote, apparently. I wouldn't know that. You guys are Doctor Who. I'm a Doctor Who fan, but I don't really remember that. The thing evolves. The Warminster thing had started with unexplained and unpleasant sounds. By August 1965, there had been at least 49 witnesses to these. It was also reported that the sounds had killed a flock of pigeons at 5 Ash Lane on the outskirts of Warminster sometime during this period, but the exact date is unclear. I've heard of stuff like that happening, So have I. The thing, however, soon came to be equated with UFO sightings, as in this detailed account given by a local woman of a steampunk-style UFO she saw on June 19, 1965. Did it have, like, gears and stuff all over? It's a weird steampunk's a weird word to use for that. It is. She said, quote, it was a shining thing going along sideways in the sky from left to right. It glided over quite slowly. Porthole type windows ran along the whole length of it. To my eye, it was the size of the whole bedroom wall. Enormous. These windows were lit up the color of yellow flames in a coal fire. It was very much like a train carriage with rounded ends to it. So kind of that cigar shape again, which is actually a pretty common sighting shape. Especially back then, too. Yeah. Though the original reports of unexplained sounds had not been linked to UFO sightings, on August 10, 1965, one local witnessed both a sonic attack and a UFO simultaneously. At 3.45 a.m., Rachel Atwell, the young wife of a Royal Air Force pilot, was awoken by a dreadful droning sound, the vibrations from which were shaking the room. Going to the window, Atwell saw about 600 feet in the air above the nearby hills, quote, a bright object like a massive star. It was definitely domed on top, and it was huge in size, an unwinking light of uncanny brilliance. It did not frighten me, but the awful noise it made did. That's interesting, too, because you, a lot of UFO experiences, there's no noise. Yeah. 
And I feel like it's not mass hysteria if somebody wakes up because of something making noise, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and it seems like a lot of people were having experiences yeah. before word spread that this it, was going yep. on. And for as early as it is in the 60s, mm-hmm. there wouldn't be, I don't think England's got like earthquakes frequently and yeah. there's no like subway. Right, right. So that they would make like vibrations that somebody would be able to... Well, and this is a small town of 10,000 yeah. people. There's so definitely not going to be a You can eliminate those things, which would have mm-hmm. been my first go-tos. But yeah, right. as of now, I'm stumped. From Atwell's description, the noise seems to have been more like an unpleasant vibration or a sonic attack. She said, the noise was most upsetting to me. I felt there was a tight band of steel around my forehead, a pounding and a hammering at my eardrums. That would be kind of scary. That would be... Her experience lasted about 25 minutes. That's a really long time. Yeah, it's a really long time. Ending when the noise finally stopped and the object vanished from sight. That same night, a lorry driver was... What's a lorry? Taxi. A, a tax. Oh, thank you. <laughs> was passing Callaway Clump, an ancient long barrow or grave to the north of Warminster, when he also witnessed a UFO, a crimson ball of light, which sped head on towards his lorry. An army major had also reported to Shuttlewood that his car, which was going over 40 miles per hour, whoa, was that was probably fast back then. It's was, fast for Kurt. It's <laughs> fast, fast for me. He is a slow driver. There are days when we're going up north after we leave here, and I'm convinced we're going to pass him, even though we leave like 10 <laughs> minutes later. It's, it's very possible. <laughs> uh, uh, he was going over 40 miles per hour, was stopped at Callaway Camp, clump due to an aerial vibration and pressure from above which sounded like 1,000 noisy fridges humming at once. The date of this strange incident is unknown. June 1965 seems to have been a peak in UFO sightings around Warminster. On June 3rd more than 20 people reported seeing unexplained shapes or lights in the sky, noted Shuttlewood. He said, quote, 17 people were either fishing or bathing at Shearwater, a lake just to the southwest of Warminster. All witnessed the cigar-bodied craft. It was obviously huge, but high up, said Colin Hampton, who was surprised. It's weird that so many people are seeing it. Yeah. This guy was so surprised he fell into the lake. (laughs) (laughs) Dang. (laughs) One year after the first collective reports of the thing, on Christmas Day, 1965, many people reported seeing odd flying objects accompanied by strange sounds and lights in the sky, including Arthur Shuttlewood, the skeptical local journalist turned ardent true believer. By around June 1966, reports of strange noises were beginning to dry up, and by the end of 1966, the number of UFO sightings had started to wane. By this time, however, Warminster had begun to embrace its reputation as a UFO hotspot, with shops beginning to sell (laughs) themed merchandise and one resident even opening a UFO-themed bed and breakfast. Hey, man, why not cash in? Exactly. The thing's fame was such that the BBC came to Warminster to film a documentary called Pie in the Sky, which... (laughs) which aired in 1966. The half-hour film includes numerous quotes from locals, young and old, about the mysterious things they had witnessed. Shuttlewood told the BBC that he believes the, quote, experts who say that the thing was drawn to Warminster as the area is unique in having 11 lays or prehistoric points which channel energy flows and paranormal activity. Prehistoric points. What does that mean? I don't know. Ley lines? Well, I was thinking ley ley lines, too. It has 11 of them? Or points, there's points around the world they think they're like points of power that aren't like necessarily lines, points but like, like points where hmm. like where the pyramid is, that's like a point. Well, apparently it has 11 of them. Well, yeah, so it's by Stonehenge, so I would imagine. Yeah. Mm. Yep. It is close to Stonehenge, yeah. Shuttlewood's theory was that the thing, extraterrestrial, 
extraterrestrial in origin wanted to give one town a real aerial battering or a haunting for a whole 14 months to test the local and global reaction. The thing wanted to make contact. In 1967, filmmaker Dick Howitt made a short film, The Warminster Watch, which followed a group of UFO spotters going on an overnight sky watch on May 6th to 7th in 1967. Event organizer Keith Palmer earnestly told Howlett, quote, the general public ought to be aware that at least there are people who are concerned and who are attempting to seek an answer to the mystery of the skies. The film follows around 150 sky watchers, as they're called, as they scanned the cloudy skies from Cradle Hill, which is located on the edge of Salisbury Plain and just to the northwest of Warminster, some using self-built detection equipment. Wow. Local Charles Wakeley, sky, watcher, sky watch organizer for the towns of Trowbridge and Warminster, feel like we need a map is a skeptic telling how it that the pulsing lights in the sky seen in the area may be due to military activity it is near a military base or may simply be car headlights seen from a distance well i'm sure that could explain some of it but not all of it yeah my first question was going to be is there a military base mm-hmm. nearby so disappointingly nothing unusual was seen on the sky watch the peak of the thing mania was 1965 to 1967, and by the mid-70s, reported thing activity had died down. After deliberate, a deliberate UFO hoax in March 1970, when a group of about 30 Cradle Hill Skywatchers was set up by physicist David I. Simpson, there was some final excitement at the end of August 1973 when it was predicted a flying saucer might land at Clay Hill. Situated to the southwest of Warminster, between Warminster and the town of Frome, Somerset, geez, just so many locations, the hill was, and remains, another Skywatcher's favorite for UFO spotting. The 240-meter-high mound offers a 360 view of the night sky. It is likely this prediction of a landing came from Shuttlewood, who, as far back as 1966, had identified UFO nests where he claimed craft had landed before taking off again. He would call these nests crop circles, many of which have cropped up in the Warminster area since the 1960s. Is this like the first? That's the, Is that the first time we're hearing the term crop circles? It might be. Today, around 80% of reported UK crop circles occur in Warminster's county of Wiltshire. That's interesting. By 1973, Shuttlewood was claiming to have seen, on average, two UFOs per week since 1966, or a total of around 800 sightings, and had written and published four books on the topic. Though the general public's interest in the thing had waned, it remained a central part of Shuttlewood's life. Well, he's cashing in on it, obviously. (laughs) In August 1973, Skywatch was filmed by the BBC. Or I should say, the 1973 Skywatch was filmed by the BBC. At 11.53 p.m., an excited local called out, Look! Look, Eddie! Quick, quick! I should have said that in a British accent. (laughs) There was a sighting of a pair of UFOs, too far away to be caught on camera, also witnessed by the BBC reporter, who had no idea what it could have been. The thing was never conclusively, conclusively explained, either at the time or since. According to the Swindon Advertiser, the War Department, later the Ministry of Defense, who tested weapons on Salisbury Plain, remained characteristically tight-lipped when asked about the thing. No other government or other organization has ever claimed responsibility for causing the thing. One incident attributed by Shuttlewood to the thing seems to have likely been due to military activity. 
On August 17, 1965, during the height of Thingmania, vibrations that felt like they came from a huge explosion rocked houses on the Borumfield housing estate, breaking windows in two homes. The witness said he saw a monstrous orange flame in the sky. It was shaped like an electric bulb. Well, that's obviously like a plume from uh, some kind of explosive going off. This likely was, in fact, the shockwave from a military explosion. Borenfield's backs onto Salisbury Plain. The military, however, according to Shuttleworth, denied responsibility. Well, of course they did. They always do. But can the entirety of the group phenomenon known as the Warminster thing be so easily dismissed as probably just the military? And if the thing was due to the military, what were they doing to cause the distressing, distressing sonic attacks local people experienced? Um, the writer says, I believe that locals should have been able to tell the difference between the military activity, which was the background of their lives, and the strange uh, sounds and sights which were attributed to the thing. This writer grew up about 13 miles from the edge of Salisbury Plain, and even from that distance, it was possible to hear or more accurately feel vibrations from military training activity. Fighter jets screaming low over us and huge Chinook, Chinook? Chinook. Chinook. <laughs> Helicopters. <laughs> Throbbing noiseless, noisily overhead like something out of ap Apocalypse Now were not unusual experiences, but I knew these were not UFOs. For some, the heavy military presence in the area was a reason for the thing to be interested in Warminster. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Reports of the thing by military personnel also counted against it being, in fact, simply normal military testing misinterpreted by overexcited sky watchers. Wow. Wow. Corey's stomach just <laughs> made its uh, episode the, debut. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. It was a strange seller. That, 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 that was a sonic attack. attack. <laughs> was a sonic attack. I felt the vibrations over here. <laughs> oh, I can make you feel vibrations already. <laughs> uh, Stephen Dewey and Kevin Goodman, who have both written books on the thing, conclude on their website, UFO Warminster, that the strange events in the area, quote, might have been the result of UFOs, natural phenomena, the army, or mass hysteria. However, of this we can be sure. For many years, the town was the focal point for something interesting. As things stand, the tangible effects of the thing have to, therefore, still be ascribed to an intangible, as yet unknown cause. As doing good, as Dewey and Goodman also point out, those today trying to research the thing will find that Arthur Shuttlewood was largely controlled he has largely controlled the narrative both at the time and since. Many of the detailed eyewitness accounts are available only as the version written up by Shuttlewood in his rather dramatic prose style and are filtered through Shuttlewood's firm belief in an extraterrestrial intelligence being the source of the thing. The influence of Shuttlewood's work over how the story of the thing is told and remembered is strong. He seems to have added many extra flourishes to accounts given by down-to-earth locals. Fortunately, some first-hand eyewitness accounts, though some without names attached, are related in the 1966 BB film Pie in the Sky and in a short clip from the 1965 Warminster Town Hall meeting and in the film The Warminster Thing. Closing in on the end here. In 2015, a mural was painted in Warminster to commemorate the 50th anniversary of The Thing. The mural seemed to appear overnight between May 30th and 31st, 2015, the artwork was, however, actually long planned by the Warminster Information Center. George Rich from the center urged people to visit and photograph the mural, come along and stand in the beam, do selfies and get it all on Facebook, he said. The artist behind the mural was first anonymous, but was later revealed to be, ooh, Mutartis Boswell 
from From, who creates, quote, mutated visions from the depths of the West Country, including UFO-themed album cover artwork, gothic and macabre pieces, and most recently an artwork at the site of the Salisbury Poisonings. That might be a mini mystery. Mm-hmm. Boswell described the Warminster mural to me, quote, I wanted to add some UFOs that weren't the obvious saucer shape and a few, it's funny, they're triangle shape. Nobody but, mentions a triangle shaped no. UFO in this, but that's a common that's shape a of UFOs. That's super common UFO shape. And he wanted a few, quote, aliens. I wanted to do something a bit more atmospheric rather than obvious. Clay Hill is a big feature on there as it's quite a strange feature in the landscape. Boswell has a personal connection to the artwork as he used to go UFO spotting on Clay Hill as a teenager. I think we were expecting to be abducted, he said. Though it's a little faded, the mural can still be seen today. The latest UFO skywatch at Cradle Hill took place on August 28th of 2021. What do you guys think? I don't think it's mass hysteria. But I also think if it was military stuff that people would recognize it as being that. I also think if it were mass hysteria, wouldn't they all be having the exact same yeah. experiences? A lot of the experiences, they're seeing different shapes. Yeah. There's so many of them, too. Yeah. I don't know. There's way a lot of sightings. There's... I don't, I don't know, know if I'd say mass hysteria, but once the first couple reports are out there, yeah. Power everything in the sky you sure. see now is going to be... I mean, Super uh, suspicious. Some of the stuff they did see could have been military craft. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's probably 75% military, maybe yeah. 25%. Atmospheric, and then the rest, just everything. Not by the UFO. Not by the UFO angle. I don't don't believe UFOs. Cool. Like I said, they... That's interesting. I didn't know any of that. No, I didn't either. I said they have the ability to go hundred thousands of miles across the space, but those New (laughs) Mexico Mexico power power lines lines really are turned into a bitch. Yeah. (laughs) No, I don't... I've never heard any of that. I think the sonic stuff is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's where I thought it was going. Like, there were going to be more just sonic attacks. Yeah. No, that's cool. I did not know any of that. Speaking of that, because we brought it up, the uh, Havana Syndrome thing that I remember, uh, because some Canadians were at the embassy, Canadian uh, researchers started doing investigations and they thought it was pesticides, insecticides, insecticides or other gases. Cuba launched an aggressive campaign against mosquitoes in 2016 to stop the Zika virus spraying in and around the offices of the diplomatic residences. So that's but it's been happening in other places other than just Cuba. Yeah. So this one specifically. I don't the, know, we should have an episode about that next season. Yeah, that'd maybe be interesting. Mini mystery yeah. about the, the Havana syndrome. No, that Warminster stuff is cool. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. I, I'll never believe a UFO unless. You see it with your I own see eyes. It. No, especially like a 300 foot long, 21 foot. But we'll get to that later. Yeah. <laughs> Who wants to go next? You can go if you want. Me? Or me. It's up to you. You're the boss. Applesauce. All right, I am doing two stories about musicians. Oh, yes, I'm excited. The first one is the theory that Avril Lavigne died in 2003, shortly after the debut of her first album, Let Go, came out, and that she was replaced with a clone or a double. The origins of this theory can be dated back to 2011 on a Brazilian blog named Avril Esta Morta, or Avril is Dead, although some sources say that the rumor dates back as far as 2005. The theory alleges that the pressures of fame, combined with the death of her grandfather, sent her into a deep depression after the release of her 2002 debut album, and that the singer died by suicide shortly after. 
The album was credited as the biggest pop debut of 2002 and was certified seven times platinum in the United States. Let Go had sold over 16 million copies worldwide, becoming Levine's highest-selling album to date and the best-selling album of the 21st century by a Canadian artist. According to Billboard, the album was the 21st best-selling album of the decade. A Rolling Stone readers poll named it the fourth best album of the 2000s, and the album is considered one of the albums that changed the pop-punk music scene, bringing the genre into the mainstream and contributing to the rise of female-fronted pop-punk bands and female-driven punk-influenced pop music, like Paramore. Uh, And I think I've talked about this on here, but Let Go is actually a really, really good album. Like, her first album is really good. I remember Greg, our old boss was telling me one day that his daughter, his she must have been like 12 or 13 at the time, was playing in her bedroom all the time. And he's listening to it. And he's like, this is actually... So then he made a copy for himself. And it's it's a really good album. I mean, it's yeah, got I mean, complicated on it. It's got Skater, Skater Boy, Boy on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the song, I'm With You, I think yeah. is still an amazing song that doesn't give get enough credit. And complicated. I mean, they're perfect pieces of punk, of pop, of pop, sort of punkish music. Yeah. But it's it's a really good album. And I feel like it doesn't get the credit it should because it really is good i mean that's all that was on the radio and popular yeah. back then you had like a simple plan and you had them you had yeah. the start of and did i have a crush Blink. on her of course i did of course you did <laughs> well, she's canadian that's just gonna she's canadian too that's a plus according to the conspiracy theory a lookalike named melissa vandella was originally hired to distract paparazzi protecting the reclusive avril it alleges that she befriended melissa And shortly before her death, Melissa was kind of taught how to sing and perform like her. So then after her death, the record company buried the news and replaced her with Melissa to continue their profits, and that Melissa recorded all of Avril Lavigne's future music. The conspiracy theory soon gained traction on internet forums such as ATRL, I don't know what that is, and Godlike Productions, where where self-proclaimed Avril Rangers shared evidence. One post in 2012 suggested that the original Avril Lavigne may actually still be alive, using a picture of what appeared to be the singer buying cheese at a time when the new Avril was supposedly battling Lyme disease. Hmm. So the evidence for this, and this comes from a... Is that true, though, the Lyme disease part? I thought it was. was She she had Lyme disease and was out of the public eye for Mm -hmm. quite a while, quote, Lyme disease. (laughs) Uh, May 2017 Guardian article called, quote, Why fans think Avril Lavigne died and was replaced by a clone named Melissa says the theory claims Levine struggling with fame at the beginning of her career began using a body double named Melissa. At some point, the real Levine is said to have died. So the record company replaced her with Melissa full time. Proof has included Avril Levine's red carpet shots because Avril enjoyed wearing trousers and Melissa prefers dresses and skirts and supposed differences between the facial features of the pre 2003 Avril Levine and the current one, Uh, including moles and skin blemishes that seem to move or disappear and handwriting that has seemed to change. Theorists also believe that Melissa has left clues in songs, such as Slipped Away, in which she sings, quote, The day you slipped away was the day I found it won't be the same. There was even a publicity shot in which Avril Lavigne had the word Melissa written on her hand. So, I don't know. YouTuber... YouTuber, <laughs> dang it! YouTube explainers say that the fake Avril had flubbed interviews that the real Avril should have nailed, 
and it definitely didn't help matters when she was being interviewed. And this was stupid. Why did it definitely didn't help matters when she was being interviewed during the 2021 MTV Video Music Awards, and MTV had the name Avril Lavigne in quotation marks, which is was it's them just feeding into this whole thing. Did that actually happen? Yeah, because I saw pictures of it. They had Avril Lavigne quote quotation marks. And when that happened, Twitter, like people were writing on Twitter stuff, like somebody wrote, quote, Avril Lavigne is literally dead. And that interview with Melissa just confirmed it for me. Somebody else writes, Avril is sounding very Melissa right now. Somebody else said, the thought of Avril Lavigne's conspiracy about her death and being replaced sounds ridiculous. But every time I see a new picture of her, a part of me is like, are you Melissa? I don't know. The first time Lavigne was asked about the rumors was in 2014 during an interview for the Brazilian TV show. Panico na band during the Avril Lavigne tour. Lavigne was asked if she had heard about online rumors claiming that she had died and was replaced by a clone, to which she replied by saying that that was the first time she was hearing about it and later said, quote, well, I'm here and I'm here in Brazil. After the theory resurfaced globally in 2017, Levine addressed the rumors in a November 2017 Facebook live stream when a fan asked whether she was dead, to which she responded, quote, no, I'm not dead. I'm here. She went on to say that the theory was spawned because, quote, people are just bored and need something to talk about. The question was broached again in a November 2018 interview with Australia's KIIS. And when asked about the theory, she responded, quote, some people think that I'm not the real me, which is like so weird. Like, why would they even think that? In a 2019 interview with Entertainment Weekly, Avril addressed the theory directly, calling it, quote, a dumb Internet rumor and saying that she was flabbergasted that people bought into it. She addressed the rumor once again in a 2022 interview for Galore magazine stating, quote, So it's funny because everyone says I look the same, but then there's that. That doesn't make any sense. Also, how random. When people bring it up, and it's been brought up to me for like years, there's this conspiracy theory that I'm not me or something. I'm a clone. How did something like that get so, I don't know. It's just the weirdest rumor. So she keeps bringing it up, but I'm sure people keep asking her about it. An April 8th, 2022 article on Nylon called, quote, Remember when Avril Lavigne died and was replaced by a doppelganger? The article says, This is where the motivation for the conspiracy theory starts to become more clear to me. I want to believe so badly that Avril Lavigne would never have made a song like Hello Kitty. I would never heard it, but I guess she got a lot of... Yeah, it's pretty bad. Cra- is it a bad? Yeah. Like the author of Avril Esta Muerto and the people who perpetuated the conspiracy theory, I desperately want her to remain the person who would not make this song. People are uncomfortable with a celebrity changing without their permission, especially if a celebrity happens to be a young woman. The author of Avril Esta Muerto would rather believe the singer died rather than that she got a nose job, got highlights, or did anything other than be a 19-year-old girl. In the blog post, the author writes, quote, I've never seen a singer change her style of singing, writing, dressing, and behaving as much as Avril did, and everyone was talking about it at the time. Everyone was talking about the sudden and radical change in her style and personality. It wasn't just the style or the way of dressing that changed. Her style is different. Her music is different. The lyrics follow another line. In short, she is someone else. That's dumb. Yeah, but then the article says, but that's the thing. She did become someone else. She changed like people do. Employing the doppelganger theory is taking the cliche of saying you prefer an artist's, quote, early stuff to its most absurd level. Levine's original image is so precious to us that rather than accept she's changed, it becomes a conspiracy theory. That's what's dark about it. Instead of believing she changed, we'd rather kill her. Which is true, which I totally, 
get you know like yeah. you when you like somebody that like a singer a band that much it's like you own them and you refuse to accept it when they become what you don't want them to be it's like when like, the beastie boys came out with paul's boutique yeah everybody yep. hated it yep. i mean i'm not an avril Levine fan by any stretch but when i first think of her i think of the music video for skater boy mm-hmm. yeah and the song is skater boy she's in her teens probably when she wrote it yeah she's dressed wearing yeah jeans and yeah. she dressed like that a couple of years later she grew up and yeah. yes she learned different things and had different emotions so she changed a little bit people yeah. are allowed allowed to evolve yeah and i i th- that's why i totally love that that comment that we that we refuse to let her change so mm-hmm. rather than believe that we actually killed her and had her replaced mm-hmm. The creator of the blog that originated the Avril is Dead conspiracy had apologized and changed the whole blog post to state that she never died and that the blog was a way of showing how conspiracy theories may seem true. Now he's saying he started it as a joke. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, like it's... Like the Dybbuk box? Like the Dybbuk box. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I remember this was a thing that... And there's oh, people yeah. that so buy into this that say that she's like not the, the Paul same McCartney person. thing. Yeah, it's exactly like the Paul McCartney thing. We should talk about that on some We should. (laughs) One of the episodes. A June 2nd, 2022 article on Ripley's.com called, quote, Was Avril Lavigne replaced by a double? And this is like the best headline ever. Quote, Was Avril Lavigne replaced by a double? It's complicated. Uh, See what they did there. (laughs) The article says, The strange thing is, and there are many strange things about this theory, other celebrities have changed their fashion and genre without the public thinking they've been replaced. Taylor Swift went from country to pop, and people didn't tweet that she was a clone. And now we get to the second part of my story, which is that, yes, there are people that do think Taylor Swift is a clone. A September 13th, 2016 NME article called, quote, Is Taylor Swift a clone of celebrity Satanist Zena LaVey? Nah, but the conspiracy theory is fun, says, quote, Is Taylor Swift really actually an Illuminati clone of Zena LaVey, the daughter of Anton LaVey, the man who founded the Church of Satan in 1966? The woman who published a book, <laughs> this is our next, we got our next book club book here. <laughs> the same woman who published a book called Demons of the Flesh, The Complete Guide to Left-Hand Path Sex Magic. Oh. Well, no. Wow. Uh, well, no, Intriguing. obviously she's probably not. But the theory has been doing the rounds recently. The whole concept seems to hinge on the fact that the two women look a bit similar. And they do. They really do kind of look similar. Like, I'll post a picture in The Strangers, like a comparison, but she does look and it's a picture of, of LeVay's daughter on some Maury Povich or some show from like the 90s, but they do look similar. The whole concept seems to hinge on the fact that the two women look a bit similar. And rumors abound that there are a lot of Illuminati symbols. Isn't in the s- timeline a little off here, though? Yeah. That was from the 90s? Yeah. Was was she even like a teenager in the No, 90s? but she was cloned by Anton oh. LeVay, you know, the Satanist. A clone of his daughter. <laughs> yes, but and it's, rumors abound that there are a lot of Illuminati symbols in Swift's videos. And what what is weird though is that a lot of her videos deal with twins, with her playing two parts. You know, like her newest video has her playing two parts. The one, the love story one, or the one where she's in the window has her playing the bad girl and the good girl. So, you know, that's what mm. that's what some people say. Along with along with a lot of the videos containing Swift doing dual roles, alluding to her being a clone. But some of the things against it are that Zena would have said something by now. Zena LaVey, now known as Zena Shrek, was a spokesperson for the Church of Satan between 1985 and 1990, during which time she was a charismatic and fairly prominent media figure. 
She quit the Satanic Church in 1990, yes, a year after Taylor's birth, but calmed down, and she became a tantric Buddhist. She has no reason to protect the Church of Satan's secrets and might either go public or demand a million dollars or so if the biggest pop star in the world had stolen her face. Another thing, there's never been a human clone. Conspiracy theorists will laugh this off as naive, to which we say, conspiracy theorists, look at the facts. Scientists in America first cloned a tadpole in 1952, then famously came Dolly the sheep in 1996. Yet the closest we came to a human clone was in 1997 when scientists created a monkey facsimile from another monkey. Humanity has made a monkey facsimile, but never a human clone. And another reason, clones are notoriously not successful. Like, they don't work properly. Around <laughs> one in a hundred clones... Have you seen Multiplicity? No. It's, isn't that with Michael, Michael Keaton? Keaton? It's yeah. really funny. Yeah. Each each clone gets a little dumber. Yeah. that's Yeah. But it says around one in a hundred clones is a success. That's why Dolly was such big news. Due to imperfections in the cloning process, they often have weird-sized organs that don't entirely function. As a result, they commonly need to be euthanized for their own good, which is why cloning is widely considered unethical. Heck yeah. The point, Taylor Swift sings, dances, and dates like an absolute badass. She is grossly successful for a human being, let alone a test tube creature doomed to crawl through life on malformed knees. Yikes. And, and lastly, why a clone? According to conspiracy websites, quote, the Illuminati is known for cloning people. They clone successful and influential people that will continue to carry out their satanic agenda on mankind. I love how that's stated as, it's, as if it's a fact. I know. Cool. But why do these people still need to be clones? Cloning is expensive and unpredictable. Why can't these Illuminati Satanists just nurture successful actual humans? Come to think of it, how is Taylor furthering the cause of Satanism by being super good at pop songs? She doesn't promote Satanism. She promotes <laughs> she promotes good times and short-term relationships. And that is something that we can all surely raise devil horns to. So there you go. What do you think the demographic is of Taylor Swift's biggest fan base? I think it's like eight-year-old girls. <laughs> probably 10. But hey, if, 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 you can clone, if you can clone Taylor Swift, make one for probably me because I... 10 to 18-year-old girls and 45 to 65-year-old <laughs> men yep. like me. <laughs> yep. But yeah, so but she does look like Anton LaVey's daughter. Huh. She does. I'll be interested to see that uh, comparison. I'll show you after we record. Okay. I mean, but, it's not like spot on, but you can see where people... But the, Shouldn't a clone look identical to someone, though? That's, yeah, but then there's other people that suggest she's one of Anton LaVey's daughters. Mm. And well, even the cloning doesn't make sense just because you claim to clone the person. Sure, it's going to look like you, but all your experiences and all your histories are what made you what you are. Yeah, but if she's being run by the satanic church or whatever, or by the Illuminati. Yeah, but still you have to... You know, we, I think next season we got to do an episode about the Illuminati because yeah. there's so much stuff about like the Illuminati symbolism. But, you know, like the, the the stuff about her videos featuring people playing dual roles is like a common thing in videos. And it shows, you know, it does. it's not her hinting slyly that she's a clone. And like like they said, if she is a, what is she doing that's satanic? I mean, like she writes awesome, catchy songs like Shake yeah. It Off, you know. It's, it's not like the <laughs> satanic panic of the 80s where Judas Priest and Ozzy yeah. and it's like she's not. no. It's not obvious to anybody. So no. if it's not obvious, it's so subtle, it's not working. Yeah. I really like Taylor Swift. I know Sofa King podcast did a thing about it where one of the guys was kind of just knew about her from hearing about her and couldn't stand her. And then once he started researching it, he's like, she's really talented and mm -hmm. really 
by all accounts. It's not my thing, but I get the appeal. Yeah, she's like a, by all accounts, she's a, like a good person. Yeah, she can bring down Ticketmaster, more power to her. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? So those are my stories. Avril Lavigne. I remember when the Avril Lavigne story came out, one of the reasons was that they thought there would be mass suicides if Avril Lavigne, if people found out Avril Lavigne was dead. Mm. And like, I love you, Avril, but. I mean, you think of like even Michael Jackson, like he died and not like a week later, there weren't rumors that people were killing themselves yeah people were going to kill themselves because of it or somebody came up with the theory that you know he's going to come back like is elvis alive or whatever like he didn't somebody else didn't take his place and try to play it off as him yeah and you think about all the famous musicians spe- yeah. specifically musicians what? that have died it's just over they don't like like try to somebody doesn't yep pretend to be them and try to come back yeah i mean it's it's and you know people point to the fact that like a really good song off avril lavigne's first album is losing grip and that that's like a great song and like a heavy song and people point to the fact that she seems uncomfortable in that video and like awkward and it's like well yeah it's like one of her first videos as she grew more into herself she changed you know, but I love, love, love the part about the guy saying that we refuse to let them change, so we'd rather kill them mm-hmm. in our theories than let them change. Taylor Swift, I don't think, is a satanic clone or no. Anton LaVey's daughter. Uh, but yeah, so those are my stories. Nice. I just, I wanted to cover them at some point because I like both Avril Lavigne and, and Taylor Swift. I think they're they're good influences on people. I don't think they're satanic or a clone. So there Agreed. you go. That's my That's my story. Cool. Uh... Mine's about Valiant Thor. They're a North Carolina hard rock band. No, just kidding. Yeah, I saw Valiant Thor in concert. I think I think they opened for Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you do any research for the he words... po- like Valiant Thor popped up in a lot of my yeah like tan like a weird tangent to a lot of the stuff that I've looked at. So if you type in Valiant Thor, a lot of it is going to be the North Carolina rock band. Is there really a rock band named yeah. Valiant? Follow Thor? Pangea, good song by Valiant Thor. <laughs> Jeez, is that your song choice for this episode? No, well, no, okay. but it's a good song. <laughs> So anyway, you're going to look for Valiant Thor, and if you type in UFO after it, it'll probably narrow down your search quite a bit. But uh, in mid-March of 1957 in Alexandria, Virginia, two local policemen witnessed a 300-foot-long, 21-foot-tall UFO landing in a field. Dang. The officers wisely drew their weapons, not sure what was going to emerge. To their surprise, out came a tall, normal-looking white man with brown hair in a silver and gold jumpsuit Emerging from the craft, he approached the officers waving, calmly identifying himself as Valiant Thor, sent by the, quote, High Council. He requested in perfect English that he might speak with President Eisenhower. So there we are. <laughs> it's it, this, this. I is, have no idea where this is going. <laughs> it's weird. See, if you read, people reference him a lot when I read stuff about uh, presidents knowing about mm-hmm. UFOs, oh, that Valiant okay. Thor is like kind of the go-to guy. Good old, good old Val. Good old, good old Val. Uh, Harley Andrew Byrd, nephew to the late Re- Admiral Richard Byrd of the United States Navy, who was a high-ranking official at the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and a part of Project Blue Book, got a harried and panicked call from those police officers from Alexandria, Virginia. Valiant Thor was, a purported, was purportedly picked up and taken to the Pentagon, where he was introduced to the Undersecretary of Defense, Charles Wilson, as well as Secretary of Defense Neil McElroy, and then given VIP status and hurried off to see the President of the United States himself, Dwight D. Eisenhower, as well as the Vice President at the time, Richard Nixon. 
According to Byrd, Valiant Thor was from Venus and spent some amount of time at the Pentagon speaking to the president about the world's current problems. Some things for discussion were that Earth was being observed for thousands of years, but with the invention of the atomic bomb, he was finally asked to intervene. The president asked Valiant to attend a meeting at Howard Menger's house in New Jersey. I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is either. Uh, Valiant agreed, but he asked if he could bring along the rest of his crew, Don, (laughs) D-O-N-N, Jill, common spelling, and Tanya, T-A-N-I-Y-A. Typical extraterrestrial name. Just Don, add an extra N. Tanya, we'll just switch out a couple vowels. Um, So it's Valiant, Tanya, Don, and Jill. 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 Yep, so... No, normally, you know, Venetian names. <laughs> yeah, good, good Venetian, <laughs> common Venetian, common Venetian, Venetian names. names. <laughs> uh, the president said yes, and the meeting did occur. A guy named Commander. A lot of people, though, do peg Eisenhower as the one that first made contact with supposed aliens. Okay. Uh, there was a Commander James who was the branch officer, and he was on duty at the security clearance and review for Project Blue Book, he oversaw the meeting, and through official channels, he reported the landing and meeting of the quote space emissary, as he was labeled as he was labeled by the Department of Defense, to the governing group of high military officials, including Secretary of Defense Forrestal, and other scientific men, of which there were twelve. Then Turd made recommendations to the president, cabinet members, and the CIA, FBI, NSA, and so on. All the more amazing was that at that meeting was an Air Force photographer named Augustus or August, August Roberts. Augustus Gloop. <laughs> Augustus, what I was going to say. Uh, August Roberts, who took pictures of him and his crew, which in the teaser is one of the pictures he took. Well, there's different pictures of him. There's the yeah. picture I put of the guy circled, mm-hmm. but that's almost more of a blonder guy. But then there's other pictures of that. Looks just like a dude from the 50s. Yeah. Valiant Thor. Yeah, the, the one that I, this is the one that I didn't use, but that's the one that. He just looks like a normal guy. He looks like normal a normal dude. dude. He doesn't look like a Venusian. He looks like a normal dude from the 50s. Yeah, so pictures were taken of him and his crew. Uh, Valiant. Pictures of Tanya or Jill or. No, I said there's pictures taken of them. Valiant and his crew wore normal clothes for that meeting, but they let their silver and gold jumpsuits be tested. It had fabric enough to cover an average person, but only weighed six ounces, including boots and it was also indestructible. They shot it, poured acid on it, used a laser, and even a diamond-tipped drill. They couldn't pierce it or even make a mark on That's it. That's weird. If it's true. If it's true. <laughs> the main topic of the meeting was to disarm all nuclear weapons. Valiant indicated to Mr. Eisenhower that the world was in a precarious situation and that if the world continued to proceed on its war footing, it would cause an economic imbalance throughout the world. So why aren't they coming now to tell us about the state (laughs) of the world these days? He indicated that his race of people lived and dwelled underground, and that many of the planets throughout the universe sustained life in that same manner. He also mentioned the waves of aliens who would land around the world to help with the Earth's seemingly insurmountable problems. Which hasn't happened either. Not that we know of. That's true. Be keeping it quiet. He stated that a group from a distant planetary system would be coming to give aid and data to help the Earth's progress. They didn't get here yet, apparently. Mankind wasn't ready for all this, the president said. Richard Nixon was apparently fascinated by Valiant Thor and allegedly said to him, quote, You have certainly caused a stir for an out-of-towner. 
Of course, we are not totally convinced of anything just yet, but suffice it to say we are checking and double-checking everything you say and do. When Sergeant Young from Alexandria radioed, radioed in and stated that you had just landed in that flying saucer, we thought Sergeant Young had flipped. Say, were you in on that UFO flap over Washington? You certainly had us all in a dither if you were, unquote. <laughs> Is this Nixon Nixon. <laughs> that was all Nixon. After the meeting, Valiant Thor knew it would take some time uh, to convince the government and that he needed a person on the inside to help him. In comes Frank Strangis. The landing of Valiant Thor was perhaps the first documented landing of a human-type alien by military officials. The Commander James that we spoke of knew of an individual in the Pentagon who was an advocate of the UFO alien situation. He was a minister. He was also a private investigator and theologian. Dr. Frank E. Strangis. He has PhDs in psychology, philosophy, and criminology. Dr. Strangis has been a guest speaker at the National... So he's kind of lazy? Yeah, just <laughs> winging it. Uh, he's been a guest speaker at the National Evangelical Center for two weeks up to that point. Frank Strangis would have a personal meeting with the entity known as Valiant Thor and give much information from these interactions between him and the government in his book on the matter, the 1967 book, quote, Stranger at the Pentagon, unquote. The book is the only source for the Valiant Thor story. Strangers would also go into depth about the alien's appearance and behaviors. Strangers said that Valiant Thor looked like a perfectly normal being, except that he had six fingers on each hand and could live for 500 years. Dang. And it also turned out that he wasn't alone, having actually arrived with his three companions called Don, Jill, and Tanya. <laughs> They sound like Josie and the Pussycats <laughs> or something like that. Uh, Val Thor supposedly told him that they've been watching humanity closely since the atomic bombs in World War II and sought to, quote, begin a new era in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding on our planet, unquote. Curiously, Strangers would also claim that Valiant Thor had a deep interest in Christianity, even going as far to say that Jesus was, in fact, an alien from outer space and had spread his word across the galaxy. This might not be so surprising since Strangers just happened to be a traveling evangelical preacher. <laughs> Go figure. He's traveling very far. <laughs> traveling a little bit in his mind as well. <laughs> uh, Stranger stated that, quote, he told me his purpose in coming was to help mankind return to the Lord. He spoke in positive terms, always with a smile on his face. He said that man was further away from God than ever before. But there was still a good chance if man looks in the right place, we can find him again. Valiant Thor also gave Strangers a few tips from alien technology that was already in use on Earth. There were communication devices hidden around the world in San Diego, Reno, L.A., and Geneva. These were holographic communicators. The person you're speaking with appears to be in the same room as you. Even showing Frank when Valiant was talking to his home ship that was circling above the Earth. Valiant also saved Frank's life a few times. One, when his food was poisoned in Germany, then Val showed up with the antidote, and once when he was thrown into the back of a van, driven to the desert, and beat up until Val and Don showed up to save him. Even on his honeymoon, his car was run off the road, and his neck and hips were broken, and he almost died in the hospital until Val showed up and healed him. Dang, Val's Johnny on the spot. <laughs> yep. Frank has also shown uh, Valiant Thor's spaceship. Frank describes it as enormous inside and looking more like a resort than the inside of what you would ex expect a spaceship to look like. It had a library, a gym, media rooms, and a dining hall. Wow. 
Valiant Thor stayed there in Washington, D.C. for a full three years on his mysterious mission before suddenly dematerializing in 1960 to return to his home planet. The story was published in Strangers' book and went on to become firmly entrenched in UFO lore as one of the most completely bizarre accounts on record, going on to be much discussed and debated and even appearing on TV shows and in the media. So we have three, two theories. All this happened as described. <laughs> or two, utter hogwash. <laughs> There's no so, end So is the only person that really had run-ins with him the Sturgis, Stur- strangest? Nobody, as far as I can tell, ever talked to Eisenhower, Nixon, Forrestal. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so theory one with all this happened as described. Our first ever documented alien encounter. Is it a coincidence that nine months after this incident, NASA was founded? This was also right around the time when the Soviet Union launched Sputnik 1 and 2, and also right around the time that we made incredible leaps and bounds in technology. Nothing as preposterous as one would think an alien would say came out of Val's mouth. Basically, he didn't say like anything bad. He was all positive, saying yeah. that because of the rise of nuclear weapons, we're here to make sure that you guys don't use them stupidly. Uh, basically, it came down to slowing down or stopping our nuclear technology and basically living by the golden rule. Even Laura Eisenhower, granddaughter to the president, swears that she was told by this by her grandfather that this was true. Huh. Theory two. She really said that? Yeah. Wow. Okay, that, that that's weird. So we'll get to her in theory two. Okay. <laughs> theory two, utter hogwash. First, Venus is far from what we would consider a t- traditionally habitable planet. So why would it produce a race of beings nearly indistinguishable from humans? That's true. Mm. Also, where is all this evidence? He was here for three years, yet the only evidence that we've been offered are some photographs of a man in a suit that said to him and one of the group of some clean-cut young people who strangers claim to be Val, Don, Jill, and Tanya. <laughs> um, but who seriously could be, and they could be seriously anyone at all. The only documentation comes from strangers who had no independent verification that he ever even had top security clearance at the Pentagon and his self-proclaimed credentials also have been challenged, such as his assertion that he has PhDs in psychology, philosophy, and criminology, as there is no evidence that he ever earned such diplomas. It is also curious, as he often calls himself Dr. Strangest, despite being unable to prove that the term actually fits. Sounds like he's kind of full of BS. (laughs) Indeed, there is no real corroboration to any of the people involved in any way. The book was written 10 years after the events happened. He wrote books in between this time, and the time he mentioned Valiant, Valiant Thor, and he never mentioned anything to do with aliens or visiting the president. There's no evidence that a Harley Andrew Byrd ever had such top clearance at the Pentagon or that he had any relation to Admiral Byrd at all. And his story requires that he would have had a senior role at Project Blue Book with top security clearance and over a year of training behind him, all by the age of 18. Uh, when he went on Art Bell's Coast to Coast AM radio show in 1995, it went south very quickly. He told ridiculous stories of Admiral Byrd's adventures, including that the Admiral entrusted him as a boy with secret diaries telling of his contacts with aliens and Nazis. Oh, boy. And then do we remember how Laura Eisenhower said she believed her grandfather? Yes, I was impressed by that. She's also crazy. <laughs> <laughs> she currently describes herself as an intuitive astrologist. Global alchemist, cosmic mythologist, and she's a guardian of the organic ascension timeline. Sure. And she's lastly an opener of natural stargates. 
whatever wow. the hell all those things wow. are. Wow. She's talented. Right. Multifaceted. So, right. That's the story of Valiant Thor. I have never heard that before. Oh, yeah. It, like, it, it shows up a lot when I'm researching stuff, and people just drop his name in there like everybody knows him. And it's like, oh, this is also when Valiant was... You know, like yeah, they're on a first name basis with Val. Hmm. That's why I did it the way I did it was that it tells this story. Yeah. But the only document documented evidence of this is from that book that's yeah. there, that Strangest wrote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it, that, so and it's there's ten years in between suspect, yeah. yeah. Where he never mentioned it between all the books. You think it'd be the first book he would have wrote, but it ended up being ten years later. So, like Kurt said, it's talked about an awful lot and they, they drop it like, Oh, if you want to talk about facts valiant thor yeah and he, he comes up a lot he gets name dropped a lot in my research especially I'm about aliens and the president and gonna probably lean towards the other hogwash yeah i'm gonna <laughs> i'm going with hogwash but if if there were more people that had contact with him other than this guy yeah yeah and i don't know if he waited 10 years i don't i don't know when eisenhower so that... died or nixon died but i it wasn't 10 years after that so i'm sure they were still alive in the late 80s so that photo was allegedly of him. Has anyone ever come out and said, "Hey, no, that's my uncle Gary" or something? Not that I know of. <laughs> but I don't either. Hmm. Yeah, but no, that shows up a lot, and I didn't really know too much about him. So now that I do, I wish more people would have had some kind of contact with him or evidence instead of just this one guy mm-hmm. that wrote a book about it. And it's true. It's always been my argument about aliens is that they're either the very small green or gray weird yeah. looking aliens or they look just like us like there's no square shaped aliens yeah. and then he happened to be from venus but you had don jill yes, and tanya especially with like the different gravity the different gravity and the different physics yeah. on the planet like a per, like a, a living being would turn out shaped differently than like a human that looks yeah. like and okay you have valiant thor so is it first name surname but then why don't we have a surname for Don, yeah. Tanya, or Jill? And then yeah. they're awfully American names. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I would expect like maybe a, why not a Jesus or a Victor yeah. or, you know, something yep. different. So uh, so there you go. Yeah, There's Val. All right. Valiant Thor, the Warminster thing, and the clones of Avril Lavigne and Taylor Swift. Good stuff. That is our Christmas present to you. Hopefully it's an okay present. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mine was in March of 57, so that really wasn't Christmassy. But yeah, I couldn't. I'm, kudos to Krista for finding it a, Christmas a Christmas related mystery. story. Yep. So there you go. Hopefully that was okay. Hopefully that'll tide you guys over until the next season starts. Yeah, this is a short episode, guys. It's an hour and 18 minutes. Wow. Our last episodes have all been like two plus two hours. hours. But it's just a it's just a small it's Christmas. It's a little gift. bonus. It's a little bonus. It's a Christmas bonus. A little something to fit in your stockings. Yep. A little something to fit in your stockings, there as you go. Corey would say. Uh, our deets, you can email us at the strange sessions at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Strange Session without the final S. We are on Instagram at the Strange Sessions. You can send postcards and snail mail to the Strange Sessions, P.O. Box 434, Mantua, Wisconsin, 54221-0434. You can call our lonely phone line at 920-443-9602. And if you have a story about something paranormal or weird that happened to you, you can email listener stories to thestrangesessionstories at gmail.com. Let us know if you are a natural Stargate opener because we would be really interested in what <laughs> you do. We're in desperate need of a natural Stargate opener. Yeah, we de- we're in desperate. We need, a, we need an intern and a natural Stargate opener. So please. <laughs> if you're both of those, wow. <laughs> yeah, you're hired. We'll give you all the. There's no pay we'll, involved, We'll give you all the, the durian candy you could eat. <laughs> 
<laughs> you should bring those to work and, and put them in a balls apparently put those in a bowl for work oh. for christmas <laughs> let yeah. people eat them Corey's gonna read a joke Corey's gonna read a chuck norris joke keep them clean because some of these are kind of not clean i guess yeah uh chuck norris has no concept of time if you go to his house you won't find a single clock when you ask to leave because it's getting late, he stares at you blankly until you sit back down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Chuck Norris has no co-stars on the set of Walker, Texas Ranger. He plays every role, even the hot chick. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, <coughs> Chuck Norris was the first person to tame a dinosaur. Sure. Uh, I didn't know there were tame dinosaurs. I think we could do an old pickle joke for for old times' sake. For old times' sake, this is a this is a Christmas bonus too. Oh, here we go. What's green has twenty two legs and plays football in cold weather. The Green Bay Pickles. Green Bay Pickles. Oh, I remember on. that joke. I remember nice. that joke. Pickles would probably play better than the Packers are right now. Ooh, just saying. Bad. That was Kurt's. Stomach. That was my stomach. <laughs> to remove a pickle from a jar, the jar must first be what? Open. Open. Topless. That's so stupid. <laughs> That's so yeah. stupid. Why is that even a joke? Uh, we're that. gonna end Christmas. We're gonna end on our Christmas episode on note. that. Yeah. Oof. Oh, sorry. Yikes. Sorry, guys. Uh, we hope you're having a wonderful holiday season wherever you are. Uh, hope you spend time with family and friends, and we're glad you got to spend time with us and Valiant and Natural Natural, natural, natural Star Openers and whoever the Tanya, Tanya Don, Don and Jill. And Jill. <laughs> Like you could not come up with better names than that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, seriously, that sounds like some knockoff of the Mamas and the Papas, some mm-hmm. kind of 50s mm-hmm. band. Yeah, I mean, if, if for Christmas, I wanted to be a guardian of the organic ascension timeline, but <laughs> there's always hope. I don't, I don't think you it's going to get here. I'm just kind of bummed ends. because I did not know anything about <laughs> Valiant Thor, and I thought it would be a little more substantial than just one person's book stuff. But, ooh, I just got really dizzy. There you go. Maybe... Maybe Sonic, that's because I opened a natural a Stargate. Attack? I opened a natural Stargate. You never know. That would make traveling so not much easier. Not in my easier. basement, please. <laughs> I'll try not to. <laughs> so I think that's it for the Christmas episode. Krista and I will be back about a month from now, probably towards the end of January with mm-hmm. another season. By this time, around the time this episode, <laughs> around the time this episode is released, I'm going to put a poll up for what you guys want Ooh, for the nice. first episode of season seven. Seven. So thank you guys for listening to us on Christmas. Corey and Krista, thanks for your stories on Christmas. No problem. And I think that's it. That's it. So wherever you are, have a wonderful Christmas from us. Happy holidays. And from Corey, Krista, and myself down in the strange Xmas cellar. Until next time, stay, stay strange. strange.